Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 33. As always, if you have questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, send them to my email michael at scientifictriathlon.com or send them through the Facebook Messenger widget on the website scientifictriathlon.com. Big thanks to today's sponsors Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. As you have heard a couple of times by now, you know that sodium sweat concentrations are very, very different in the sweat of various individuals, with some people losing only 200 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat and some people over 2000 milligrams. So a tenfold difference there in the range. And then you can take into account as well that people have different sweat rates. So I may be sweating a lot more than you do, and I probably do, in fact, so in which case we can see uh, an even greater increase in the difference in the sodium requirements of different individuals which is why you need to have a proper hydration strategy and precision hydration can help you with that you can take the free online sweat test sweat test which is a simple quiz consisting of 10 questions and that will give you an idea of how much electrolytes you should consume in your training and racing to replace the electrolytes that you lose in your sweat if you decide to buy any of the Precision Hydration products, you can get one box of uh, electrolytes for free with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. And big thank you to Roka. As you've heard, we have a giveaway running where you can enter to win an entry to any Ironman race in the world plus a Maverick X wetsuit to ensure that your swim is faster and easier than ever before. Plus there are lots of runners-up prizes like... Droka's high-performance eyewear, buoyancy shorts, R1 goggles, etc. So lots of prizes up for grabs and you can enter for free. Just go to roka.com forward slash TTS to sign up for your chance to win. Again, that's roka.com forward slash TTS. And as usual, they have their normal promo code for 20% off your order on uh, any purchases you make on roka.com, which with the promo code being TTS all caps. Let's get into today's first question, which is from Florian in Munich, Germany. Florian writes, for those athletes who are biking to work every day, do you have any recommendations about how to benefit from this activity? To give you an example, I do your strength training plan on Mondays and Fridays in the morning. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I do hard swim workouts. Wednesday morning, I do yoga or stretching. The evening or after work sessions are runs on Monday, a Monday a short recovery run and Wednesday a run track session and Friday an easier, easy paced, longer run. Tuesday and Thursday I do bike trainer sessions. So, so just to jump in here, essentially he runs on the days with the gym or stretching or yoga and bikes on days of swimming, which is a good structure. So I like that. Uh, and the question goes on. It reads, it's about 35 minutes one way for me to work. I'm trying to keep it as easy as possible in order to not compromise my the rest of my training. In the light of your recent podcast episodes with Skiba, Filial, Seiler, etc., it sounds like easy commuting with five days per week times two times 35 minutes might be a good base training and I cannot really go too slow. Did I interpret this correctly? So to answer this part of the questions, I think yes, uh, that is a correct interpretation and uh, I think you do it exact, exactly right. Uh, just keep the intensity easy and reap the benefits of, of the low intensity training without compromising your, uh, your other workouts. Then the question reads 
Another side, side question would be how to fuel for all of this. I usually have a protein bar consisting of 15 grams of carbs, 11 grams of protein after working out in the morning, which is typically the first thing I eat that day. I then have proper breakfast at work. So far, I'm not feeling like I'm running low on fuel during my morning workouts, even though they are essentially all fasted. Do you have any suggestions on what I could improve during bike commuting or nutritional habits? Thank you. So thank you, Florian, for your question. In terms of bike commuting, we we really almost answered it already. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, when when you are cycling, it is difficult to to go too easy. So so I wouldn't worry about that at all. Even though I will talk about that in the context of walking versus running in the next question today. So so that will follow a bit later. But I don't think really that this would be a problem for you uh, at all. So so I don't have anything to add for the. For, for the actual commuting in terms of the, the nutrition if you have a good balanced meal which gives you enough energy the night before and uh, that meal is not too early like not a 5 p.m dinner perhaps then then i think that this is absolutely fine especially assuming that your swims are maybe one one hour or less than that even though they are intense so and if you feel the, mo- the main thing is really that you feel that you can actually perform the swims to your potential then then i think that that's totally fine uh, it could be interesting, of course, to, for you to try to see what happens if you have a light breakfast with some carbohydrate. For example, have uh, some oatmeal and maybe a, a boiled egg or something like that in the morning so to get more balance, so get some protein and, and some fat as well. Uh, so, so oatmeal and an egg would be, would be one example of a light breakfast before, before swimming in the morning and just see if you perform any better with that. Or another alternative is to not have breakfast but actually consuming some sports drink during the swim so so i would definitely i I would consider it good to to try that but if it doesn't help you if you are actually performing to your potential then you don't need to do that for the gym workouts uh, while you do need to have your glycogen stores topped up to perform in these gym sessions the actual amount of energy that you use is is low so so i think that again assuming that you have a a well-balanced meal the night before and you haven't had a, like a really big training day the, the day before, then I think you should be you should be fine with doing what you're doing. And as for after working out, having that immediate protein and carb bar is uh, perfect. Like to get some something quickly in in the post workout fueling window, as uh, controversial as that is uh, sometimes. But uh, but I think that is a good thing to do, and and then have that proper breakfast a bit later after you've commuted to work so no objections at all about that i think it sounds like you have a really good setup so thank you for your question and i hope it's useful for you and for other listeners who do commuting to work because i should add that i think that this is a really great way to get in some some easy base training and and it definitely it it makes a small difference but it makes a difference and uh, and the big difference that it makes i think is Perhaps not so much in performance, but just in longevity and, and general health. That's where I think that there is actually a big difference of doing, doing what you're doing. Next question is also about commuting to work. And this one is from Philip in Sweden. And he writes, I'm 33 years old. I train for Olympic distance triathlon and focus a lot on building my aerobic base since I'm an old track sprinter. To be able to get the most training time, I walk or bike to work, I bike to meetings, and I do walking or running with the stroller. I usually track the activities using heart rate and try to have my heart rate in zone 1 or 2 to build volume in this zone. Then I add more intense quality workouts when I can fit them in during the week. 
As an example, if I walk to work, it is one hour of zone one or zone two work per day. When biking, it is 25 to 30 minutes in zone two. And I'm actually not sure here if this is one way or two ways. I think I read it as uh, perhaps uh, two ways. So, so half an hour of walking to work and half an hour work, walk, walking home, which means that the bike commute is, is very quick. I'm not quite sure if I read this correctly, but that's the way I interpret it. Um, stroller works. Stroller stroller walks might be an additional five hours every week in total in zone one to two. So on average, I might do 10 hours of zone one or two work with an additional one to two hours of intense workout. Is this everyday activity junk miles? Does it add unnecessary stress that needs recovering from? And how can I make sure that all of these activities can be counted in as zone one or zone two volume? Uh, please reason around this and give me some guidance on how to use commutes and everyday activity more qualitative. So, uh, first of all, no, it's not junk miles. As, as I said in the previous question, I think it's great. And I think it's especially great for longevity and, and general health, but it also helps to, to build that aerobic base. Uh, I think the, the one thing that I, you have a couple of things here in your question that is different from the first one though, because in the, the previous question from Florian, his bike commute was, uh, it was, let me <laughs> look at here again, because I look at the question again, because I forgot it already. It's 35 minutes one way. So it's uh, an hour and 10 minutes in total. Whereas for you, if I read this correctly, for you, the, the commute with bike would be 25 to 30 minutes in total, which uh, isn't really as much, especially not when you consider that it's maybe 15 minutes one way. So, and then you have eight eight hours of sitting at work in between it's still great of course it's, it's still great to to get that just that movement but but it's not really i wouldn't count 15 minutes of biking that, that's sort of where, where i would draw the limit perhaps where where it's not really training anymore in the same way that i would consider that 35 minutes is still can still be considered as part of the training of course this is like, like my own definition and, and i'm not the one making the rules here there are no real rules here and i'm still saying that it's healthy it's good it's way better than the alternatives of taking the car or public transportation but but i'm just saying that it's not necessarily deemed the most effective base building training still just because the the bike duration is so short so for the bike what i would consider doing assuming that you have just 15 minutes to work then I would try to to go go the long way to work and and make sure that it's actually thirty minutes of of cycling if you want to count it as training. Uh, that that's what I would do, and and then you would have do the same thing on the way back from work. When when you're doing walking or or running, then it could be then thirty minutes is perfectly fine. I think even twenty twenty five minutes does count as training when it comes to to running. So, but the one thing there that I would uh, say is that walking is not the same as running and it's it's not the same movement pattern it's not even the same muscle groups at least to an extent so what i would do there is i would always do it as either a run or a walk run or a run walk so you might do some of them as walk runs when you actually walk more than you run but you still have some running in there this depends on your fitness and uh, and how many of these you end up doing like how many bikes you do per week and how many runs or walk runs you do per week but but I would always have some running in there if I, if you want to count it as training because I wouldn't really while walking again is great for longevity and for general health I wouldn't really consider that as part of your triathlon training and and I don't think that it necessarily makes you a better a better runner 
so so if that makes sense then then that's like the, my general take on how to make sure that you can count this uh, these i guess commutes as training and the same thing with the with the stroller by the way make those runs or run walks or walk runs that's that's a general gist of what i'm what i'm trying to say so so here are a couple of of things as well that i noted down here i think that perhaps to to make it clear to give, to give you an example I would consider biking to work three to four times per week and doing it the long way so that you accumulate, so you go at least 30 minutes in, in one way and then you get one hour in total for the day. And then one to two times per week, you would do the run-walk or, or walk-run. And uh, and then the, the stroller walk-runs or run-walks or, or runs, they, they would add so that you would be probably doing some form of running or run-walking every day of the week every weekday i mean and this of course assumes that you're injury free and that you feel ready to do this and it's not a big jump but but since you can have i think that it's great to do run walking i don't think that you need to do running at all you can do all of these runs with walk breaks and it will still be basically as effective as as without them so so that's totally fine i would encourage you to to be be comfortable doing that if uh, since you have been doing walking and not so much running and then you only need to do one quality run on the weekend and that, that would perhaps be a longer run that includes some intervals so that you get your intensity and your longer run all in one. So so that's how I would structure it. And then the other quality workouts that you do, so you mentioned doing a, a few of them during the week. So maybe you do a longer bike on the on the weekend, on the second day of the weekend, and then you do one or two harder bikes during the week. So, so that's essentially, that gives you a, a framework for, for how to use this week. In terms of whether it's, it's unnecessary stress or compromises recovery, uh, no, definitely not. Unless you notice a decrease in performance in your other workouts, it doesn't. So, but pay attention to that for sure. And, uh, one more thing to consider there with the recovery is that I do think that it could be good to schedule one day every two weeks or so that is completely off. So commute by public transport. Uh, so be stay environmentally conscious as as you probably are and i know that the public transportation system in stockholm is is great and i think you said that you lived in stockholm even though i didn't read it on this episode and then that day you would also just walk with the stroller so try to make the most of that recovery day and and that way you can ensure that that you're not digging yourself into into a hole so yeah i think that's uh, that's about it uh, so change the walks to run walks walk runs or runs you can mix up between those uh, mix, mix it up between those and and for the for the bikes make sure that the you try to take the longer way so not just 15 minutes because then it's then it's still good for general health but probably not so much for training anymore that becomes a bit too short when when it comes to cycling all right thanks for your question philip and uh, let's move on to the final question for today which is from roger in minnesota United States. And Roger Roger writes, uh, Hi Michael, as you have discussed in recent episodes, watching your heart rate get lower to maintain a given power level is a good indication of fitness. A while back you discussed that lowering heart rate can also be a sign of being overtrained. So is there an easy way to make sure we aren't misinterpreting lower heart rate data as improving fitness for being overtrained or vice versa? So thanks for your question. Uh, that's a, a really good one. And I think in general, you mentioned there that if you, if your heart rate gets lower to maintain a given power level and your perceived exertion at that power level is the same, it's not becoming harder, 
then I think you're pretty good. That, then, then you don't have to worry. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there are some things, some other things we can do. And the main thing, so it relates to what, what I already mentioned there with, with the same power level at the same RPE, but lower heart rate. Just consider your performance and your perceived exertion, your perceived effort in workouts. That's the main thing. If your heart rate is getting lower, but you also have to work harder to get to a certain pace or power output, or perhaps you can't even hit the pace or power that you normally do in, in your harder workouts, then that could, could be a sign that you're entering the, the overtraining realm. That said, this could happen for a week or for two weeks in a very heavy training block, and it could be fine because then with an adequate block of recovery, you can get that super compensation effect and get a lot stronger after that. So sometimes when we are in heavy, heavy blocks of training, performance does go down and it's okay. And, and heart rate can go down. So it could be interpreted as overtraining, but it's not. It is overreaching, but it's still functional overreaching. So we make the distinction as well between functional and non-functional. And, and even with functional, you can get an acute decrease in performance, but then you get, uh, you get an increase in performance as if you recover from it properly. So, so I think that the clearest sign is really, it's not in the, easy workouts perhaps but it's in the harder workouts and it's if you are it's it's not so again if you are able to hold the same power in your hard workouts or the same pace in your hard workouts even if you have to work a bit harder for it if you're in a heavy block of training it might be okay uh, and, and it's not necessarily a sign of, of you doing too much it's just a sign of the heavy block of training that you're in which could be what you need which could, which could be appropriate for you but but if you are unable to hit that same power or pace that you that you usually do uh, not talking about a five watt difference or a five second per kilometer difference but perhaps uh, like a 15 watt difference or a 10 seconds per kilometer difference uh, something of that magnitude just to give you an idea if you if you are not able to get that close to to your previous workout numbers even though you you work just as hard then then that could be a sign that that you're you, you might be entering into that overtraining realm but uh, going further, combining the performance and perception in workouts with HRV data, that uh, makes it even easier to draw the right, well, not even easier, it makes it less hard, is probably uh, the more correct, uh, correct way to, to phrase this. It makes it less hard to draw the right conclusion about whether you are uh, improving, whether it's a good sign or a bad sign. Uh, so again, I want to give a big shout out to HRV for training, which is a fantastic app, and also to their pro platform which is a web-based uh, platform which is uh, even better it gives even more insights and helps with interpreting hrv trends and resting heart rate trends because speaking of resting heart rate this resting heart rate in the morning may get higher in a situation when you're non-functionally overreaching even though your exercise heart rate goes down but yeah i use hrv for training and i do monitor these things and uh yeah, I really recommend it. So recommend it. So check it out on hreefortraining.com. And I am an ambassador for them. And uh, I've got to know Marco Altini, the founder personally. So so that's why I really do want to give them a, a shout out. But they have a fantastic product and they do great, great work. So so HRV is is definitely one the the, the next factor that I would consider after performance and perceived effort in workouts. And then next we have sleep quality and duration. If you're having sleep issues, like issues falling asleep or waking up a lot in, during the night, that could be a sign of approaching non-functional overreaching. And finally, motivation. 
So do you feel motivated to get out there and train or do you dread your upcoming workouts? Because this can be a telltale, telltale sign if you, if you don't feel motivated to go out and train, then maybe you are entering that, that non-functional overreaching state. So thanks for your question. It's a really, really good one and, uh, and an important one. So I hope it helped you and helped a lot of other listeners as well. That wraps it up for today. I'll link to some related episodes that we mentioned here and uh, the interview that I did with Marco Altini, also the interview on non-functional overreaching with Cyril Schmidt. So Marco Altini was episode 144, Cyril Schmidt was 159. Joel Filial mentioned in the previous question was uh, episode 172, and uh, that's, I think, the most downloaded episode that I have on the podcast. Very popular, great episode. And then Dr. Philip Skiba was the following episode, episode 173. Thanks for all the questions. I do get a lot of questions. So uh, I might not answer your email if you or your message, but I do copy paste those questions and add them to my backlog of questions. And I end up answering almost all questions as long as they are relevant for, uh, for a few more people than just the person asking. So, so I really appreciate it, even if I can't always uh, answer. And uh, I want to remind you, I talked about this in another episode, or maybe I will talk about it in another upcoming episode i'm not quite sure but uh david who is is a coach and new responsible for customer support here at scientific triathlon uh, has joined the team i actually met with david here in lisbon yesterday monday the 6th of may which was really really great if you have questions about training plans that you've bought on scientifictriathlon.com or other support related questions then email him please his email is support at scientifictriathlon.com he is the one who will answer you with those specific questions uh, and uh, yeah that's uh, the fastest way for you to get response and you'll get much better responses from him than from me because my email inbox is uh, really just uh, that's the thing that i dread uh, talking about uh, dreading getting out and train if you if you're entering non-functional overreaching for me it's dreading to get into my inbox because it's a bit it's a bit overreached or overstretched so to say so i'm really really happy that david has come on and, and helped share the load a bit so again his email is support at scientific another piece of news great news from uh, friends of the podcast and friends of myself andrew buckroll and stack who has been a sponsor of the podcast in the past several times, and they have been acquired by by 4Y, the power meter company in Canada. And this means that there will be plenty of cool developments coming from the stack team, both with regard to bike trainers, virtual wind tunnel, and other new exciting stuff. So I just wanted to give Andrew and the team a shout out and congratulations for that. And you can check them out on stackzero.com if you want to learn more. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free sweat test to get an individual hydration strategy for you and use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first electrolyte box for free. And thank you to Roka for sponsoring the show. You can find wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear on roka.com and get 20% off with the promo code TTS, all caps. And of course, enter the giveaway to win a free entry to an Ironman and a Maverick X wetsuit. The URL, it's linked to an episode description. It's roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>